0: Hey y'all, Misty Phillip here. I want to welcome you to the By His Grace podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you haven't had a chance yet, head over to Podchaser when this interview is done and leave me a review there or wherever you listen to podcasts or hit me up on IG because I want to know what is resonating with you and what you want to hear more of. Currently, we are in Season 3 of By His Grace, and our focus this year is chasing our dreams. Each month, we approach this from a unique angle, but I'm also throwing in some fun bonus episodes. This month, we are discussing getting past your critics and your inner critic. Today, we are joined by Mazzie Robinson, a licensed professional counselor and speaker who specializes in helping women discover their true voice as they navigate self-worth challenges, relationship concerns, and life stage transitions. But before we get in today's episode, I want to start with a definition of criticism. So if we have an inner critic, that means that there is criticism. I also want to lay a biblical foundation. So I went to gotquestions.org and I typed in, what does the Bible have to say about criticism? And this is what I found. Criticism is the act of judging unfavorably or fault-finding. It is often appropriate to judge a person, thing, or action unfavorably. In fact, a true friend will speak truth even when it's hard to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That's from Proverbs 27. Jesus was quite critical, actually, of the Pharisees and their journey, and he expressed his disapproval forcibly on several occasions. You may want to look at Matthew 23 for that. However, Jesus's criticisms were always truthful and ultimately loving, and I think that's a good place to start. When we have an inner critic, we are always often unreasonably hard on ourselves. We look for faults, and we have an internal dialogue that tends to self-sabotage and hold us back from pursuing our dreams because of our negative thought patterns. But I want to make a distinction here between negative thoughts that are accusing, that come from our enemy, and the conviction that we feel from sin. If we can if we feel convicted of wrongdoing, we need to repent of our sin and restore our relationship with God. But as for the negative thoughts, I think Philippians four six through eight is a good filter for us to evaluate our thought life. So I want to read it to you here out of the ESV. Philippians four, Six through eight says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in verse 8, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The first words that I read to you there were, do not be anxious. If we are not to worry or be anxious, then what should we do? Well, the next sentence there tells us, it says, pray, pray about everything. We should come to God with our problems humbly, earnestly, and with thanksgiving. Our gratitude and praise shifts our focus off of ourselves and onto God. God has given us prayer as a means to deal with worry and anxiety in our life. And then it says that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our heart and our mind. So we need to pray instead of worrying, and then we will receive the peace of God. We are not to worry. Instead of worrying, we should think about the things that are true, the things that are noble, the things that are just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent things. So my friend, the next time you have a thought and it sounds harsh, like I'm not good enough, I can't do this, whatever that thought is that is holding you back from being all that God created you to be, I want you to hold that thought up to this passage and say, does it line up with God's word? Is it lovely? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? And if it's not, then I want you to take your thoughts captive. But if you are feeling a conviction about something that you have done, and I pray that you run to the Lord and release it to him. Now, welcome Mazzy Robinson to By His Grace. Hey, Mazzie, welcome to the By His Grace podcast. I am so glad that you are here with me today to talk about the inner critic. Welcome to By His Grace
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to get to chat.
0: Yeah, me too. When I found out uh, that I was going to be covering this topic and doing a series on it, I was so excited to get to interview you because I know that this is something that you talk a lot about in your work and with your clients and in your speaking. And so we're just going to jump right in. And um, I want to ask you, how do we notice and identify the the areas where we are being harsh on ourselves? Like, how do we identify that then when we have an inner critic?
1: Yes, I think this is such an important question, because what I have found is that for a lot of people, they don't think they have an inner critic and And so because of that, they don't immediately recognize the power that their inner critic is having in their lives, the influence the inner critic is having in their lives. But the truth is, we all have an inner critic, all of us. Now, some of our inner critics might be louder than others. But we all have an inner critic. And so one of the best ways to begin to examine and sort of take a look into your life like, oh, does my inner critic have more power and influence than I think it does or that it than it needs to have is to begin to um, look at areas in your life in which you're experiencing anxiety, there is a direct correlation between our anxiety level and the volume of our inner critic. So the louder our inner critic is, the more anxious we are going to feel about a situation because your inner critic is telling you, you can't, you're not enough, you won't be able to, you're not going to be able to figure it out. And so when you're just kind of flooded with those negative messages about how you're going to fail or miss the mark or not do something correctly, of course, you're going to feel anxious. So looking for those areas of your life where you feel uh, very anxious, maybe it's around certain aspects of motherhood, or certain aspects of your job or social situations. That's a great red flag of like, ooh. I think my inner critic might be talking here and I'm not even fully aware because it's kind of just like white noise in the back of my mind. So let me take a minute and sit and and tune in to, to listen to what is my inner critic saying that is causing me to be anxious. Another thing that we can look out for is areas in our life in which we're procrastinating. There's also a great connection between procrastination and our inner critic because we tend to procrastinate on the things that we think we can't do or that we're not going to do well or that we don't want to do. And usually we don't want to do something because we think we're not going to do it well. You know, it's it's all connected. <laughs> and so, um, so those areas where we procrastinate um, and to use that as a red flag for, uh, uh, you know, acknowledging, okay, my inner critic is really speaking here and it's having a little more power and influence than I want it to. And then lastly, things that we avoid doing That if we really get vulnerably honest with ourselves that we would like to do, you know, for for women, our inner critic always has so much to say about body and appearance. And so maybe you actually love going to the pool. Maybe you actually love swimming, but you never let yourself go to the pool because that inner critic in the back of your mind is just tearing you apart on all the reasons why you shouldn't wear a bathing suit and you shouldn't wear a bathing suit in public and so forth and so on. And so looking for those things that we avoid doing that in truth, we really would like to do. So those are kind of three red flags that we can look for as to when our inner critic is chirping.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really good. So what about when a woman is um, chasing her dreams and that inner critic starts to rise up? What can she do with that? Yes.
1: So one of the things that I always like to remind people is that anytime you leave your comfort zone, whether it is a small step or a giant leap, anytime you leave your comfort zone, your inner critic is going to appear and to and it's going to start shouting. So, you know, for for women who are pursuing dreams, who are deciding to leave that comfort zone and dare greatly and and step into a new chapter in their life, I often encourage them Know that this is going to happen, not in an anticipatory dread way that makes you want to retreat back into the comfort zone, but just in a factual way. Like if it were raining outside, for me to look outside and go, okay, it's raining, I'm gonna get wet when I walk out to my car. I'm leaving my comfort zone. I'm stepping into a new arena of my life. I am going to hear my inner critic, just that objective, factual observation. And that can take a lot of power away from the inner critic because we can acknowledge, oh yeah, there's my inner critic telling me I'm not smart enough or capable enough or I need to read another book or consult with another person before I do this. And we can objectively acknowledge that But we don't get taken in by it because we recognize that our inner critic shouting is actually a symptom of us being uh, courageous. It's not truth. And that's the other thing I like to encourage women to to remember particularly when they're pursuing a goal or a dream that has been on their heart for a long time, your inner critic is going to shout, but your inner critic never shouts truth. Your inner critic shouts fear. And in actuality, your inner critic shouts woundedness, but our inner critic never shouts truth because our inner critic is rooted in our deepest fears and our deepest hurts. And so that is the, the driver behind our inner critic. Our inner critic is actually trying to keep us from being hurt again, because that one time that we didn't answer the algebra question right in seventh grade was so embarrassing, heaven forbid, you know, we <laughs> experienced that sort of public humiliation again. So therefore you should never apply for a job, you know, sort of thing. And so it's helpful to understand that about our inner critic, that our inner critic is, is actually our w- most wounded self trying to protect us from being hurt again. Now it is doing so in a completely maladaptive, unhelpful way. But, but that's the source of the inner critic. It's those old hurts. It's those old fears.
0: So what are some practical tips that we can take away that we can work, um, work on in a healthy way, solving that problem of our inner critic?
1: Yes. So the first thing is kind of just what I said, I think recognizing that your inner critic is talking is is huge, because like I said, a lot of people don't realize that their inner critic is driving the car, but their inner critic is driving the car and it's driving them down kind of a dead end street. So beginning to get familiar with your inner critic. Um, So what does your inner critic sound like? Um, You know, generally speaking, our inner critics are very harsh. They're very rigid, very black and white thinking you're either going to win you're going to lose you're going to succeed you're going to fail you can or you can't very black and white thinking um your inner critic is highly repetitive our inner critics are not creative they just they just (laughs) say the same thing over and over again and apply it to different situations but they're not creative they're highly repetitive one of the things that i have observed um uh, I don't know if you're into the Enneagram, but I, uh, I'm a one with a two wing. And so I have a very loud inner critic. And so I've spent a lot of time getting to know my inner critic. And what I've observed is that inner critics are nocturnal. We often um, hear our inner critics. They are often the loudest at night. And the reason for that is because, quite frankly, we're, we're tired, we're mentally tired. And so we don't have the mental energy to begin to sort through like, no, that that's not truth. That's a lie that's irrational, that's rational. And so it's kind of like the back door of our mind has been left open and all the moths uh, fly in at night. And so just recognizing at night, you know, 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night when you're scrolling through your phone and you really start down the path of comparing yourself and criticizing yourself, that is your inner critic. And the best thing to do is to go to sleep because we're too tired to sort through and find the truth. Um so recognizing it's repetitive, it's nocturnal, it's harsh. Um, also, on a it, if we can go kind of a few layers deeper, recognizing where your inner critic comes from. Our our inner critic always comes from someone else's voice. Our inner critics are not organic to our minds and our souls. So beginning to recognize, all right, this criticism that I keep replaying over and over to myself where did it come from one of the things that i like to tell clients is that our minds are kind of like voicemail inboxes and our entire life people have been leaving us messages and some of the messages were positive and some of the messages were negative and we delete some messages and we save the others What happens is that we tend to save the negative messages and we play them on repeat and then they become this inner dialogue, this inner critic. And so it can be helpful to recognize, oh, wow, this belief that I can't wear a bathing suit unless I look like a supermodel. That stems from being a kid when I was at the pool and this kid named Johnny Smith laughed at a girl, you know, and just beginning to trace back the origin of these beliefs, the origin of this negative um, inner dialogue and, and recognizing where our inner critic comes from is incredibly helpful because again, it begins to take the power away because then we can recognize, oh, wow, I don't actually believe this, but I heard this and it got translated into a belief. The other thing that I really encourage people is to to do is to talk to your inner critic. And, and that can sound a little woohoo, um, but just hang in there with me <laughs> for, for a minute. You know, for a lot of people, we think, you know, my inner critic, I just I just want it to go away. I just want it to shut up. I just want it to to make it go away. So I'm just going to tell my inner critic to just go away. But that's not actually what we want to do. We want to heal our inner critic. And another way that we can think about it is it's almost like we want to integrate our our inner critic. And if you could see what I'm doing, I'm kind of pulling my arms into myself because remember what I said a second ago that our inner critic is our most wounded part of ourselves. It is that wounded young self who's just afraid of being hurt again, who's afraid of, of failing again, who's afraid of being made fun of again. And so it's acting out kind of like a Child does when it's wanting attention. And again, it's acting out in a very unhelpful, maladaptive way. But the goal of the inner critic is to get you to stop being brave. The goal of the inner critic is to get you to stop being vulnerable. And so if the inner critic says you're not smart enough to apply for that job because the inner critic is afraid that you're going to fail and then you don't apply for the job, well, the inner critic was kind of doing what it what it aimed to do. And so we want to think of it as healing that inner critic. And 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 I am a big visual person. And so almost to imagine turning to that inner critic and and what I like to say, the, the phrasing that I like to use is not today. We're not going to do this today. We're not going to go 18 rounds on how I misspoke in the conversation with the friend. We're not going to go 12 rounds on how I could have done something better. We're not going to do this today. We're going to be okay. And I get inner critic that you're just trying to protect, but I've got us. We're going to be Okay, we don't have to do this today. And that phrasing of we don't have to do this today can be very helpful in allowing ourselves to kind of take that breath and go, okay, I can move forward out of this inner critic spiral. So I think beginning to imagine yourself having that loving but firm conversation with your inner critic can be very helpful of not today. We don't have to do this today. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We did the best we could.
0: Yeah, that's really good. One of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is, um, and I've talked about it in the Bible study that I wrote, and the importance of taking those thoughts captive because that's what the Word of God says is to take those thoughts captive. So what I'm hearing you say is that you recognize it, then you take it captive, um, and then we want to replace it. So if I'm feeling anxious, then we can replace that with scripture that says, be anxious for nothing. Um, And so I love that you said to talk back to yourself, like, we're not doing this today, because I am also an Enneagram one. And so I can roll things over in my head. And my husband is like, what is wrong with you? Like, let it go. And I'm like, I can't. Um, So I'm excited that we had this conversation, because now I have some tools too to just say, Nope, we're not doing that today. Um, I love that. And, uh, and replace that with with another thought.
1: Yes. And that replacing is is that important last piece of replacing the lie, because our inner critic is always a liar with truth and the truth that we are loved, the truth that grace covers us, the truth that uh, we weren't created to be perfect and we don't have to be perfect. And even if we could achieve perfection, it's not going to change how much God loves us because that's unchanging and unshakable. Um, The truth that our worth is not attached to our production, our performance, our our appearance. Um, The truth that our worth is a grace-infused worth. Um, That replacing the lie with the truth is that vital last step and really kind of living rooted and established, living grounded in that truth that you are loved. And there is no failure on earth that can change that.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. But what if someone has, um, ha, they, they have failed, and, and they just, you know, are beating themselves up for it? Um, what would you speak to them? If you, you were sitting across the table from them? What what words of encouragement would you give them? Yeah,
1: that, that is good. Because I, I don't know if you're a Brene Brown fan, I'm a huge uh, Brene Brown fan. And one of the things that she says is, and I'm, really paraphrasing here but she says if you live long enough if you if you live brave enough you're going to fail it's not an if it's it's a when. um and and i like that like i think that we are often sold this myth that failure is not an option and one of the things that i i often say to myself and i will say to others is failure is always an option like (laughs) That's always on, that's always (laughs) on the table. That's always a choice, A, B, C, or D. Um, And so I think to begin to neutralize our fear of failure and the way that we can begin to do that is to separate the outcome of whatever the situation is from our worth. And so, because the reason that failure, we, we fear failure, we dread failure and failure stings so much is because we begin to attach it to our worth. I'm not as worthy because I failed. I'm not as worthy because because I got fired, I'm not as worthy because I didn't get the job. And as we begin to detach our worth from failure, then failure can be this thing that happened to us, not something that defines us. Now, it's still to go back to your question, failure still stings. So then what do we do with the sting? And this is where I think, again, the importance of separating our worth, but acknowledging the emotion that we feel around it. So I failed at something. I failed miserably, I failed at something. Now I'm really going to protect my worth and not begin to feel bad about myself because I failed, but I am going to acknowledge and honor the feelings that I feel. So I feel disappointed, I feel sad, I feel hurt, I feel frustrated, Um, I'm grieving. Uh, I'm grieving that I got fired from this job because I actually kind of liked the job. And 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 now I'm scared uh, because I don't know when I'm going to find another job. And so beginning to separate those understandably, uh, those understandable emotions we feel around failure from our worth is how we begin to process through that failure. I feel these things about the failure, but the failure is not defining my worth. I'm still worthy. Now, I'm sad. Right. but I'm still worthy.
0: Yeah, and that goes back to what you said about being rooted and grounded. And when we know that our identity is in Christ and that we're loved and that nothing can separate us from his love, um, we can we can stand on that. But also I think failure is a great teacher. Um, you know, when my kids were growing up, I always wanted to protect them from failure because who wants their kids to fail? And my husband would always say, let us them fail, let them fail, let them fail, because failing is a great teacher. Um, So once we feel all the feels, like you said, feel them all, take all of your hurts and wounds to God, and then let him heal those um, so that you can learn from your mistakes and move forward.
1: Exactly. And that's where, because you're so bright, failure is a great teacher. And You know, if we go through that process of like, nope, I'm not going to let the failure define my worth. I'm going to detach my worth. I'm going to feel all the feels and then I'm going to let it teach me something. That's how then God can redeem the failure. He can use the pain. He can, uh, you know, use that mistake in your life that regret whatever it is and and that's how it then takes on meaning it can be used in other ways in your life or it can be used to serve other people and the failure then takes on meaning when we allow it to teach us and we allow it to be redeemed
0: Yeah, that's so, so good. Well, Maisie, thank you so much for being on the By His Grace podcast today. We are going to put links to everything so people can come and find the amazing work that you're doing. And we just thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I've loved chatting with you. I really appreciate getting to be here.
0: Thanks so much. Thank you for joining me today on By His Grace. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are encouraged by our guest today. I would love for you to visit my blog, mistyphilip.com for more encouragement. You can find me on social media as Misty Phillip, and I would love to connect with you there.